Hey man, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I so appreciate you doing this. I saw no your TikTok and just had to reach out. And uh, yeah. so yeah, I um, was liberating. That say was the first time I ever mentioned some of it. Oh, that was your first time speaking up. It was the uh, first time talking about uh, how violent it was. One gotcha. of them. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. You know, it's so important to be as brutally honest about what happened as it was because you know for a lot of people i think that it's that the intensity of the incidents often makes it so much more difficult to speak up and seeing somebody like yourself being vulnerable and open about what actually happened i mean you're gonna set so many people free just by being honest about it so chris what happened to you well um starting at five years old uh had a neighbor i believe she was around 12 years old i don't know the exact age but it was a lot older than me. They used to come over and borrow sugar, stuff like that. Well, she got to play with me and wanted to play doctor. And at five years old, I had a 12 year old doing uh, sexual acts with me. And um, so that was that situation. That was happening several times with her. Moving on to about eight years old, I had a woman that was about, about 15, not a woman, a girl. She wanted to show me a woman's body. And, uh, do stuff with me too. That was a situation at a friend's house. Then at 10 years old, I uh, was molested by a 18 year old man. Uh, he was not mean. He was kind, but I mean, you know how that is, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, understand, <laughs> you'll understand how, why I'm saying that when, by the next one, okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to be kind, but you, he was gentle with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, he showed me, he showed me things and he, he, uh, did things to me and, and I didn't do anything to him. Gotcha. Uh, he wanted to show me a secret. So he showed me secrets of oral things on me. Mm -hmm. And um, then at 12 years old, I was violently raped by a 19 year old man. He hurt me bad. I lied to my parents and told them that I fell out of a tree. The reason I couldn't walk good and I was limping and not being able to walk. But there was a reason for that. So that was that situation. That's, that's so far. That's four different people. Um, and then when I was 13, I had a 21 year or 20 something year old cousin that wanted to make me a man and I had sex with her. So wow. that's the gist of it so far. So that's the short version. <laughs> the abridged version. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot that happened there. So the first thing that comes to mind is just the fact that you were molested by three different girls and yes. definitely have some questions about that. Going back to the first incident when you were five, this girl wanted to play doctor. Uh, yes. How exactly did that begin? Like, how did she initiate that interaction? She just asked me if I wanted to play, and we started playing, and then she wanted to play doctor, and she had me undressed and do things. So, so that's how that started. For sure. What was your thought process at the time? Did that register as something that was bad, or was it not so bad because it was phrased as like, yeah, we're playing? Yeah, well, it didn't seem bad at the time. I never even realized how bad it hit me or how bad it hurt me or anything until I talked to a psychiatrist at 40 years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seemed normal at the time, yes. How did well, that eventually stop? Well, you said it went on for a couple of times? Uh, it went over for, I mean, that, that happened several times. Uh, I don't know exactly how it stopped. I know we moved, and that may have been how it stopped. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly. So right. I just remember I, one of the... One of the main things I remember is laying down in her garage and with me on top of her backwards. 
I was one way, she was the other way. Right. And at that age, you know, it's, it's so young and we just have no real concept of like what is actually mm-hmm. going on, what the person is wanting us to do. I felt the same way. The guy who started molesting me originally introduced it as a game. And that was enough for me to be like, okay, great. You know, like, let's play. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And you just don't make the connections until later, whether it's, you know, a year later or 35 years later in your case. And um, with that second incident, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it was, I was at a house and uh, a girl there, it was a person, a person I know. And it was the middle of the night and she woke me up, took me to the bathroom and uh, asked me if I'd ever seen a woman's body. And uh, she was 15 years old and mm-hmm. uh, she took her clothes off and then um, she had me take my pants down and she did uh, oral things and uh, had me fill in things. Gotcha. So you're now eight, which again is mm-hmm. the same time that I got molested. Has your thought process changed at all in terms of what happened with the doctor, in terms of like registering whether this is uh, maybe something normal or if it's weird or what are you thinking exactly? I remember, I remember being nervous, mm-hmm. but that was about it. I, I didn't, the wrong process didn't pop into my head, but uh, I remember being nervous about it. It was different. It was weird, uh, definitely. But yeah, no, I didn't, it was kind of like I wanted to. So I didn't know if she talked me into it. So, and I didn't fight it. I just did what she wanted me to do. Yeah. Was that just a one-time thing with that? That was a one-time thing. And did you guys ever like speak about it after that night? No, I still know the woman. Nobody else knows who it is. I won't tell anybody who it is. And, uh, but you, you guys haven't spoken since then about that? Not about that, no. Have you ever considered bringing it up with her? No. Mm-hmm. No, I haven't. Uh, it'd, be, it'd, it'd, cost a lot, it'd cost a lot of stuff. I really don't know because she was a kid too. She had an adolescent mind. So I've thought about it, but I haven't considered it, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting that you guys, uh, you know, are still are still friends. And then at 10 years old, this is the first time that you were molested by a, a guy, right? Yes. Yes. And this was the guy who told you that he wanted to show you, tell you a secret. Yes. Yes. He wanted to show me a secret. Yes. He took us. We went by. Uh, we went out in the shed. At a, I was at a cousin's. They lived in a trailer park, and there was all uh, trailers everywhere. And there was a shed out there. And we went out in the shed, and um, he pulled his pants down and showed me a secret, uh, which was his <laughs> yeah. penis. Right. Um, then, he, uh, yeah. then he wanted to see mine and I pulled my pants down and he uh, did things. He did oral things, but I didn't do anything to him. He didn't want me to touch him. He wanted to touch me. When you're going through this third experience and you've already had a girl who, when you were eight, also performed oral sex on you, is this type of a thing starting to become normalized in your head or are these events still sort of like, like where's your thought process at while this third event is going With on? With him, I didn't want to do anything, uh, but um, I was, I was scared not to, but um, like I said, he wasn't violent and he wasn't angry. He didn't, but I was still scared to say no. So mm-hmm. I knew, I knew it was wrong at 10 years old. You know, you know what sex is, you know, what, uh, You've already, you know, you and your friends have already made jokes and, yeah. and you know what stuff is. And um, I didn't want to, but I was scared not to because of who he was. And I mean, I don't even remember the guy's name, hardly what he looks like. 
And I agree. I feel like it's a misconception about molestation that people think that it's like this really brutal thing. And, and obviously it can be, but a lot of the time it's, it's not at all. It's very gentle. The guy who molested me never did anything other than grab my dick. Yeah, he did it a lot, but you know, it never escalated past that point. And I feel the same way about, he wasn't mean about it. You know, mm-hmm. he was like very kind uh, mm-hmm. just as it sounds like this person was. And yeah. I think that people have a hard time registering like, okay, well, if he was so nice, why didn't you just say no? And it's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many other elements that you, that are going on there. And I remember at that age in particular, I felt very, uh, I didn't want to upset people or disappoint people. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't want to, I didn't want him to be mad at me. And also, there was also thoughts of, if I say no, is he going to be violent if I say no? Mm-hmm. And, um, but those are just thoughts. I, he, he was never violent towards me. But uh, I didn't want to yeah, disappoint him. I didn't want to make him mad or not make him mad. Uh, I want him to be my friend. Ah, so. Exactly. Yes. For example, the guy who molested me was my friend's dad. And I valued my friend's relationship with me. I mean, he was my best friend. And I didn't want... If I thought that maybe if I said no or spoke up against him, that he would like, you know, somehow affect the relationship with my friend. And there's all of these things that we come up with as kids that justify our actions for, you know, why we didn't speak up. And while in retrospect, it seems kind of silly. And especially for people who haven't been through this kind of stuff, they're like, oh, why didn't you just stop? You know, just, just don't go over there anymore. And it's so much more complex than that. So this is the third time that it's happened. You're 10 years mm-hmm. old. And the fourth time was then the guy who violently mm-hmm. raped you, right? Yeah. And I was 11 or 12. I don't know for sure the age. I don't remember for sure. I know that I, I was in sixth grade, I believe. This one was in the house and was spending the night at my cousin's house. And he was friends with, with my aunt and uncle at the time. Everybody was gone and he was watching me and my cousin. And... It happened back in the back room. My cousin was asleep up front and in front on the couch. And he um, did stuff with me anally. And, um, but I was, I was asleep in the bed and he came back there and got in the bed with me. And um, he, at first he was kind. And then he, when I, when I said no, he forced me. Gotcha. So, and what do and you I don't know it- why I didn't scream and holler. I mean, of course I was hurting and I was crying and stuff. I don't know why I didn't scream and say, no, you know, I don't know why I didn't. I was scared. Yeah, (laughs) totally reasonable to be scared. I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, I think about that oftentimes, like how easy it would have been. Because like, I would always get molested when I was in the bed with my friends. Like it would be like three or four of us in a bed and I would just be on the side of the bed and the guy would come over to the side of the bed and then reach up and, and grab my dick. And I remember while it was going on, I mean, you, you just want to play possum. You just want it to be over as soon as possible and not have to deal with this anymore. But part of me was thinking to myself, like, what would happen right now if I was just like, hey, hey, guys, like, there's a man next to the bed here molesting me and you're all in the bed asleep. Like, it, it, but at the time, I mean, it's just, again, there's so many factors going on, like not wanting to disappoint the person, wondering how they'll react if you do say no. Maybe it'll be even worse than what's going on. You know, right. kids are not uh, equipped to handle these situations most of the time. So, right. um, 
And after that experience happened, did you just uh, go back to sleep? Or what, what sort of happened? Uh, I just laid in the bed and cried mm-hmm. after he left. Cleaned myself up because I was bleeding. And I uh, went and laid back down mm-hmm. and just cried. And then I think I fell asleep. And then I couldn't walk good the next day. And I just lied. And one of the reasons I didn't tell is I didn't want my dad to go to prison. I know my, my dad would have killed him. Mm-hmm. I, I know he would have. And I'm, 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 I'm about 99% sure. I know what my dad would have done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, how can you, <laughs> again, another level of burden that we adopt as a victim where it's like, okay, I just went through this horrible thing that this person put me through. And now I also don't want them to die as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe you do, but you don't want your dad to then have to go to jail forever. I mean, mm-hmm it seems so simple to speak up, but there's so many things that you're trying to figure out. And mm-hmm. I thought that if I spoke up, my dad would try to fight the guy who molested me. And I thought that my dad would lose. So mm-hmm. that was like enough of a reason <laughs> for me to be yeah. like, well, I don't want to have my dad get the shit beaten out of him or die. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these irrational thoughts, but seemingly rational at the time. So it all makes sense, you know, and nobody else knew about any of these experiences. No, nobody knew anything until I was 40 years old. Okay. So what was your relationship? Like, what was your family life like growing up? Cause it seems like a lot of these people have been sort of intertwined maybe via cousins Um, or friends of cousins. Right. It was pretty good until uh, I was in junior high. My dad was an alcoholic. A little background on my dad. My dad's mom was married 11 times. My dad had, 11 stepdads. So his life growing up was pretty hard. He was beaten. He was, I mean, he's done, there's, I think there's things done to him that he don't not talk about. But where I'm going with this is my dad thought he was doing real good with us because he was doing better than what he had. Does that make Mm. sense? Yeah. His life was so bad, but ours wasn't near that bad. So he thought he was doing real good job, but he was an alcoholic. He drunk, he drank every day. I remember pushing him one time when I was 12 over a coffee table for him, uh, I think he's, I can't remember if he pushed my mom or slapped my mom, but I pushed him and pushed him over the table. I was at 12. At 15, I beat up my dad. He tried to burn our house down. When I, we were all gone and I came in. And I don't know why I hid from my dad, but I hid from my dad and I saw him leaving the house. Then I went in the house and the trash can was on fire. I put it out and we got an, all, we got an argument and I called my friends and uh, I got in a fight and beat up my dad that day. And I wanted my mom to leave my dad back then. But, but they're still married now, and we got a good relationship now. So that's awesome. I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him because he wasn't strong enough to break the generational cycle of abuse. Mm-hmm. And that ends with me and my sister. So that's the reason. That's awesome, man. And it's really cool to see, you know, that is what you're doing by speaking up on TikTok and, you know, being willing to do things like this podcast. It takes people like yourself that are willing to be totally honest about what's happened to them in order to break these kind of cycles. And Mm -hmm. um, for this last experience, this happened when you were how old again? I was 13. Okay. Seventh grade. She was a cousin. She's deceased now. She, uh, well, she was cousin aunt kind of thing. She was uh, my aunt's daughter, but my grandmother adopted her. So she ended up being my dad's sister, but she was actually my aunt, if that makes sense. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of not not an Arkansas type thing. It's just... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sure. But um, 
we were driving around in her truck and um or yeah riding around in her new truck she wanted me to ride in a new truck and then we went out to the lake and she took her top off and told me she could make me a man put hair on my chest and all that kind of stuff and i was 13 i said okay let's go so yeah. we did i mean we, we you know i'd already you know been in the locker room talking about sex people you know all the boys lying about them having sex and mm-hmm. but nobody ever knew i did this until i nobody knew about that that situation until i made that video that was the first time I ever spoke of it. My God. fiance didn't even know about it. That's wild. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I did because it was a family member is the reason I never said anything. I didn't want to cause rift in the family. Um, of course. It would have blew up a lot of stuff, but I didn't want her to get in trouble. And I just, I was a willing participant in that, in that situation. <laughs> yeah. So can I ask you like, what was the difference between being molested by a girl compared to being molested by a boy? Uh, with the girls, it was just, it was, there was no fear. There was no, um, I mean, there was, this is wrong, but I didn't feel, I wasn't scared or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it was wrong with the men, but with the men that were later on and I knew it was wrong and I'm not homosexual. So I didn't, I mean, I just, didn't want to make anybody mad either. I had a problem with uh, trying to make people happy when I was yeah. younger. And um, I still kind of have that in my, in my life now. But uh, I'm, I don't know if you've watched any of my TikToks, but I'm speaking out and I'm, I'm not going to be quiet no more. I'm going to be the loudest person around. That's, it's so uh, important to, to, be the, to be that voice. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're the voice not only for yourself, but of so many people who haven't spoken up yet mm-hmm. and will do so as a result of you speaking up. I, I am quite literally exactly the same way <laughs> in terms of being a people pleaser. And yeah. it definitely gets to the point where it becomes detrimental to yourself when for both of us, it seems like we were prioritizing the well-being of others above ourselves, which right. is really good in some cases, but not when the result is you getting molested. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I still tr- struggle with that to this day. And it's something that I've been working on is just recognizing that I will be the most beneficial to other people when I'm in a good place myself. That's mm-hmm. when you can provide the most value to people. And Oftentimes that was lost on me uh, when I was growing up because I was just like, I valued other people being happy so much. And I don't know when I started doing that. I was always kind of curious if that was a result of getting molested, if I developed those tendencies because that was happening or if it was already an established thing before. And, and I'm not sure, but do you think that you were that way before you started? I mean, I know you, it happened when you were five, so it's kind of hard. to. Yeah, remember, um, but. I think, uh, I think mine was with my dad. Uh, trying to please him because we were always working walking on eggshells didn't know what was going to happen that's what caused my ptsd that i suffer from but uh we'll get into that in a little bit but that's something that uh i always wanted to make him happy so it, it went over into everything it went over into my sports it went over into everything yeah and um when you talk about the fear aspect of being molested by a guy compared to a girl I'm just curious if you could sort of elaborate a little bit more on that because, you know, let's say hypothetically you had not been molested when you were five and then eight and you just had that first experience when you were 10. And obviously, you know, this is just a hypothetical, but how do you think that would have been different? Do you think you were more accustomed to this kind of stuff or, um, yeah. No, I I don't think it would have been different. I didn't know that the, the times at five and eight, even had affected me. So I don't, I, I didn't realize they did until I was, you know, until I was a lot older. And so I don't think I knew back then. I don't, I don't even think I really remembered them really. 
So if that makes sense, I I don't yeah. remember the eight year old, but um, but it just seemed that this seemed like something that happened, and I don't think I don't think it would have been different in my situation. I'm not saying that's for everybody, but in of my course, situation. yeah. So after this 13 year old experience, um, did you have any more abuse happen to you from that point on? No, uh, no sexual abuse. No, I got to fight my dad sometimes. So and, that started uh, at 15. Mm-hmm. Because I know you said you guys have a relationship now. How did mm-hmm. that impact your family's dynamic? He, after I beat him up, he was very, wanted to kind of, it felt like he wanted to redeem himself and he tried to fight me a lot more. He tried to fight me and I mm-hmm. wouldn't until, I mean, if he hit me, I would, but um, he would try to push me sometimes and I'd walk, I'd try to get away from him. But my dad was always a, like the biggest sports fan, I, I mean, that I could have had. I mean, he lived through me basically. Because I, I think my dad didn't have a childhood, so he he lived through my childhood. But he drank, and because he never went and got help. Same mm-hmm. reason I didn't ever get help until I was so so much older. But you got that fear of being weak if you get help for mental mental illness. Totally, yeah. Um, and I'm sure you know women experience this too. I know for males in particular, there's that stigma associated with these kind of things, particularly with molestation and speaking up about this kind of stuff that makes you look or makes you think that people will think that you look weak Uh, and it does make it harder to speak up. You don't want to be associated with these things that are perceived so negatively. Mm -hmm. You don't want people to feel bad for you. Right. Yeah. I grew up, I grew up in a small town, country town. Nobody talked about stuff like that. And you look at me now, I'm six foot four, 280 pounds. Yeah. Um, So I'm a big guy. People that look like me don't talk about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And that's the, one of the reasons I'm having the voice and I'm doing it is for people that look like me. And even on TikTok, there's men duetting me and sharing their stories mm. and saying, I've never done this before. And they do it. It's so uh, cool, man. Encouraging and fulfilling to have those people saying that. I ball like a baby every time I see one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These people don't, they say I'm just this big, strong guy and they don't know behind when I'm not on camera, I'm sitting there crying, watching their videos, reading their yeah. comments. I'm bawling. You've done <laughs> yeah. this for me. You've done this for me. And I'm like, wow. And I look at Melanie, my fiance, and I'm like, I'm, I'm really helping people, I think. She goes, you are. And I was like, I know, but now, now, I'm, now I'm realizing it. And this is, wow. Like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just, yeah. I don't do it for attention. I do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm always an attention, attention seeker. Uh-huh. But this is this is different. This is a lot different than what. I've been attention, got attention for. I didn't want the stigma of being a homosexual, too. Now, it doesn't bother me now. I don't care. I mean, I don't take it as a derogatory term. But when you're growing up, you tell somebody that a man sucked your dick or a guy, you know, blessed you and, and had sex with you, there are kids and stuff that are going to make fun of you. Now, I didn't want that to happen. You know, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, that was 30 years ago or so. I mean, the mm-hmm. entire perception of being gay was completely different. And mm-hmm. even now, I mean, you know, when it happened to me, this was 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And even then, I still felt the same shame associated with because when I was getting molested, I would get boners, like while it was going on. Right. And in my head, that was enough to conclude that I thought that I was gay. Because I was like, well, if I wasn't gay, I mean, I wouldn't get boners. You know, I you know I had a similar experience. I've never ever been attracted to a man. Uh, I know if a man's good looking, but I did have the questions too. And I don't know if it's from because um, I got an erection while I was you know, but um, yeah, I, I like that. You made a good point there. Um, I, I questioned myself too. 
because, well, you, you, you got off or you, you did this or, you know, I don't think I ever got off. I was 10 years old, but, um, <laughs> Hey, it can happen for sure. Yeah. But it is so confusing, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. I felt the same way. I was like, I'm not attracted to the guy that's doing this. And yet my body is telling me that I am. And right. when you don't know anything about this kind of stuff, that's enough for you to conclude that I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm gay, you know? Right. And um, there's a quote, arousal does not mean consent. Oh, yeah. Arousal does not mean even enjoyment. And that was another part of it is that it was like, you know, I was getting a boner and I was like, okay, this, this doesn't like, this doesn't hurt. This feels, you know, I'd rather have a girl do it. But the fact is anybody touching your dick feels pretty good, especially (laughs) at that age, you know, it's like nobody had done it before. And then I remember getting a a hand job for the, for the first time for my girlfriend, like four years later. And I was like, Oh, amazing. Like this is whoever does this feels good. You know, (laughs) So it's so confusing at the time and you feel so alone and like nobody could ever understand what you're going through. And Mm -hmm the truth is there are so many people that know exactly what it was like for exactly. you. I'm seeing that. I didn't have no idea that so many people had been through it. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. And I think they're all like me. They don't say anything. And the people are like, well, why don't I, you know, growing up or at an age, they're like, why didn't she come forward? Why didn't she just say something? Why did he say something? I'm like, I know why, but I wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew, I knew, I knew why they didn't come forward because they didn't want the shame. They didn't want to cause the big problems in the family. They didn't want to cause the big rift. The, so yeah. I knew why they didn't come forward, but I just kept my mouth shut and didn't say nothing. I don't know either. I don't, what dumbasses? Why didn't they say something? <laughs> and that's me talking about somebody that's been molested or something, and I'm sitting there, I was right. molested too. And we can totally flip the narrative about how these topics are approached and how these situations are handled just by being honest about it and and open. It's so cool that you are at the point now where you feel like you can speak publicly about it and are clearly having a massive impact on people. So you you go through high school and and also what kind of sports were you playing? I played five sports. Um, I I ran cross country. I played football, basketball, baseball, and track. And I was I was an I was an all star athlete. I mean, I tried out for the Houston Astros two weeks after high school. Holy so, shit! So I batted a five fifty one my senior year. So I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. wow! What was that tryout like? It I sucked, and they <laughs> cut me before I even batted. And I haven't played baseball since that day. I didn't do scholarships. I didn't I didn't do go to college. Nothing. Mm. It was one of the biggest things. That's part of my depression. And it was the first time I was ever rejected in sports. First time I ever didn't make the team was a tryout for a major league team so yeah and it's funny how feelings like that of rejection seem like they are so much more extreme when all you've really known is the opposite uh right acceptance making it you know killing it by mm-hmm. in whatever sport or whatever experience it may be and sports is i use sports as a coping mechanism i believe my depression started at 15 the day I beat up my dad on 15, that's the first time I ever thought about taking my own life. And from that day on, it was a daily struggle. And uh, I used sports as a coping mechanism because every time I scored a touchdown, I felt great. Every time I hit a home run, I felt great. Every time I got an RBI, I mean, everything. Mm-hmm. So. You went to have this tryout with the Houston Astros. It didn't pan out. And mm-hmm. what was your life like after that? Just normal. Um, well, not normal. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I got married. So I was 22 or 23 when I got married. 
I just I was drink. I was an alcoholic before that. I was an alcoholic. I, well, I didn't. Act, I've always been alcoholic. Binge drinker. Uh, I mm. used drugs. Uh, I'd, I'd use methamphetamines. I would use uh, whatever somebody had ecstasy. I mean, I'd, I'd try anything. I didn't care. But when I drank, I drank. I drank. If there was thirty beers, I drank thirty beers. I always said I wasn't gonna be an alcoholic. I wasn't gonna smoke. I wasn't gonna do all that. But I did it all after my dad. So, but I, I self medicated for every. I was. I had PTSD from my growing up with my dad. And um, I had, felt like I always had to protect my mom and my sister. So that's what caused it. So that led into me thinking I had to protect everybody around me. Mm. So that turned into 20 years of PTSD. Every room I went into for 20 years, I made a plan to protect everybody from the man that was going to come in with a gun. Every room I walked into, I thought I was going to die in that room. And I made a plan. I faced the door. And I just, um, you, know, you know how many rooms you go into in a day? Imagine how many going to in 20 years. So if there's other people in the room, I made a plan to protect everybody. Like if I was at church, I already knew who I was going to have put in charge. Hey, you grab the kids, I'm going to him. Every time I went into a gas station, as soon as I walked in, within 10 seconds, I knew where everybody was, what they were wearing, what they were doing. I caught people stealing all the time. It's interesting thinking about like, you know, what that sort of mental state is to mm-hmm. be going around operating in life in a constant state of you know, it's not fear, but mm-hmm. anticipation, mm-hmm. Uh, preparation for what could happen, trying mm-hmm. to prevent people around you from experiencing what you had felt. Right. Right. And, and I, um, I thought I could take on everybody's pain. I thought yeah. I could take on everybody's, uh, okay, you, I, you can't whoop them. I can. Mm-hmm. And I would do it. I lost my first fight when I was, hell, I might've been 30 years old. And the guy, he, he'd let me know that I wasn't tough as I mentioned town. So, <laughs> but until then, I thought I was. <laughs> and do you think that part of that was a result of, in addition to fighting your dad, the molestation that you experienced and not wanting people yeah. to? Yeah, the, the one that hurt me real bad, that's what's always in my mind, that one. Just like with the TikToks, I'm still trying to put a smile on the 12-year-old Chris's face. They asked me, why do I let kids in my lives? I'm saying, because there may be me. And that long the other side that needs to hear what I'm saying. I'm still trying to make me happy. Mm-hmm. Make, make myself happy back then. I can't do that. But if I would have heard somebody talking like I'm talking back then, maybe I would have not been depressed for 25 years. In, in silence. Nobody knew. Every day I portrayed myself as the most confident person than would cry most nights until I was 40 years old. And uh, I don't know how far you want me to go into that. but um, Oh, please. Was, yeah. No, let's do um, it. I was in silence for 25 years about my depression and PTSD. Nobody knew anything. Everybody thought I was the most outgoing, confident, and that's a mask I put on every day. Yeah. At 40 years old, it became to be too much. And one night, I had a gun in my mouth, and I was seconds away from pulling the trigger, and my friend walked in the door at my house at 1030 at night and saved my life. If he'd walked in 10 seconds, 5 seconds, 10 seconds later, I wouldn't be here. Whoa. He just walked in my house. Didn't knock, didn't just walked in. Said he, he knew that I, I, he just had to see me. It was my neighbor, <laughs> one of the best friends. Yeah. So that's incredible. My life was safe for a reason, I think. And that's to reach other people. Well, dude, I mean, it absolutely was. No doubt about it. I mean, things like that, there's a reason for it. I think you can just see in the amount of people that you've impacted profoundly in this short amount of time since you posted. Yeah, about two and a half. Oh, the, yeah, the post was, it was last week, wasn't it, when you got tagged in it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was last, it, it was last week because 
I remember crying. Yeah, it was last week. Yeah. Because that was a hard day for me, and I actually drank that day. I had beer in my house. I could drink two or three beers, you know, yeah. because I, uh, I can drink now a few, and it's not that big of a deal because I'm taking medication now. I think I used to be self-medicating. is the reason I drank alcohol so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but that day that I did that video, I got drunk after I did it. And that would have been the first time I'd been drunk in uh, two and a half years. Do you think that That's was a result of that was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so after that night where you were going to kill yourself and your friend walked in, mm-hmm. what happened after that? I went to Laureate, a uh, mental institution here in Tulsa, and uh, I stayed there for two weeks. And since that night, I've been working hard, working real hard on myself because I knew my life was saved. So I had to get myself in the right, the right uh, mentality so I could help other people. So mm-hmm. I had to work on myself first. So there's times here to where I have to step back and I got to make sure I'm good because if I'm not good, I can't be good for anybody else. I'm not doing it for everybody else. I'm doing it for myself too. There's a, that's a lot of help for me too, just doing this. Yeah. Speaking out and talking and talking to a group of, just a group. I lead group. I need a, or I don't lead them. I facilitate uh, celebrate recovery groups. And there's a lot of power in just talking to other peers. I'm a Christian, but I did one night. I, I mean, I, it was in my head. Son, I didn't save you. I didn't put you through everything. But we're going to use everything you've been through to reach others and give them hope. So that's the way. I mean, they say where it came from, whatever the sun, God, or whatever. I know where I think it came from. Mm-hmm. So, and it might have been just my mind. I don't know. But that's what I think I know where it came from. So. Well, wherever it came from, it, you were definitely meant to hear it. And I also feel exactly the same way about how beneficial it is just having conversations like this. Like it's the most fulfilling thing when people reach out and say that they're speaking up as a result of something that you or I did, you know, it's the best feeling. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's so cathartic for me to speak about my own experience and hear mm-hmm. about other people's experiences. And it gets easier every single time. Can you talk a little bit more about the experience between that night where you, where your friend saved you and you, when you, like, how did you get to the point where you were able to go on TikTok and, and share your story with everybody? When I was in Laureate, I made a decision then. When I started talking, I haven't shut up since. Yeah, um, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I, said, the psychi- I talked to a psychiatrist and I told him about the two girls, five and the eight-year-old. I didn't tell him about anything else. Um, then I found out that the average man can't talk about it until he's about 40 years old. And I was 40, so, and, um, and still I didn't tell anybody outside of there uh, about anything. I was married at the time. Uh, I'm divorced now. I went and stayed. I was going to a house church, and I ended up staying where the, we had the house church. So I stayed there for a while, and I just worked on me. For nine months, I stayed at that house, and I worked on reading books and, and uh, going to Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christian-based 12-step program, and um, now I facilitate those. I've been working as hard as I can to make myself better. Now, That's now, cool, man. Uh, somebody, well, the, the guy I lived with, the, the guy that led the church, one of the church there, he told me to make a TikTok a year and a half ago. I, I downloaded it in April, and I made like two videos or something. And I didn't do anything until around Christmas is when I started making TikToks, like really yeah. making them. And then now, what is two months later, and I've got 165,000 followers, almost 170,000 now. Oh, wow. I'm getting about 10,000 a day now. That's so cool, man. Okay, oh, that's on that for sure. I started the TikTok for mental illness awareness. Then, then I started seeing 
that uh, there's other things that need to be talked about. I started seeing that uh, LGBTQ community needed help. Uh, my son, 20 years old, he's gay. And I, I confronted a guy about, uh, he said he'd put his kids and uh, put them out for adoption if, if they were gay. And I confronted him, told him, you know, what I'd do and told him he's weak and all that. Well, I got a bunch of uh, gay following. Then I asked my son, I said, can I tell them that you are gay? And I, cause I wanted to ask him first before I outed him on the internet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and he, uh, he said, yeah, go ahead. He goes, but also tell them about the story, tell them what you did. I said, what do you mean? He goes, tell them what you did about, uh, let me know I'd be accepted. When he was 12 and I pretty much knew that he was gay, I laid down a trail for him, posted things on Facebook about support for LGBTQ community. I started, uh, meeting as many gay people as I could to learn everything. I learned about bears and otters and silver foxes. That's different gay men. That, 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 there's a, oh, really? A, yeah. Like <laughs> me, I would be a bear because I'm a big hairy guy. Yeah. Anyways, I learned about all this stuff and I posted stuff. And then in three years, he was felt comfortable enough to tell me that he was gay. Then I found out other things needed to be talked about, like racism and all this. And now I'm, I'm talking about all this stuff. I'm talking about not, I don't get political, but uh, sure. I support all people and all that. So, so glad to funny, hear that. I do funny videos to keep people's attention. And that's yeah. actually what shot me up last week. It was a funny video I did. It's got 4 million views. Wow. Yeah, it's wild to have that kind of potential reach. And part of why mm -hmm. TikTok is, is so amazing is being able to, you know, for example, with the content that you put out about your story, a high percentage of people that see any video have experienced some sort of molestation, statistically speaking. And yeah. it seems like the best time to be speaking up. I know you mentioned that people were, were reaching out and saying that they've you know, never told anybody about this before, and now they are as a result of, of your video. Yeah. How, how uh, has pretty, that been? It's been? Yeah, it's been pretty amazing, man. It's crazy. Because I've never been uh, – I've, I've always been noticed for being the tough guy or the, uh, the athletic guy and stuff like that not the guy that knows what to say and how to, how to get a point across. Yeah. And I'm getting a notice for my mind instead of my, uh, my brawn, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's pretty overwhelming. It's hard for everybody to speak up, but I think people that are hyper-masculine, it's particularly mm -hmm. hard for. And right, yeah. like you said, you know, people that look like you reaching out saying they've been through something similar. I mean, it's, it really is uh, providing a voice to the voiceless or the people that felt like they couldn't speak up until uh, you came around. Well, yeah, it's pretty, uh, when I see somebody that's got a big old beard and like they're, they're you know, they got their, they got the redneck hat on. They got, I mean, I can tell they're, they're a cattle worker or they got a cowboy hat on and they reach out to me. I'm thinking, wow, he would have never said anything. Yeah. Coming from the situation that you grew up in, all the experiences that you've had, depression and suicidal thoughts, all that kind of stuff. What sort of advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point where you're at now? What I would say to somebody that's been through similar stuff is uh, find a trusted friend to talk to. If you can't find a friend, family member, somebody you trust. If you can't do that, find a counselor. I, I'd seek, seek professional help from 100%. Uh, if you can't do that, write a letter to the person that hurts you and be very graphic and uh, read it to a trusted friend and burn the letter. Mm. It's pretty powerful. I bet. Um, so that's one thing. 
That's, I mean, just talking, man. That's what's done for me is talking. Find out as much as you can, too, about it. Look at mm-hmm. statistics. See how many people that actually have been through what you've been through. And that'll maybe that'll give them more of power to go seek help and not feel weak. You're not crazy. A lot, a lot of this has been leads to mental illness of some sort. Especially so. if it's left untreated and, and right. not talked about. Speaking about it publicly isn't for everybody, but speaking up is for everybody in yes. any capacity. The way that yes. you feel is most comfortable for you, go do exactly. that. And even if it feels uncomfortable to speak up, you got to do it because it'll set you free from it and ultimately allow you to heal and to grow and turn this super negative thing into something that you can move past and move on from. And right. um, yeah, man, I completely agree. That first time that you spoke up was with a, with the psychiatrist, right? Yes. That was the about first the person that you had ever told. Yes. That's the first and, person that I ever told about uh, the PTSD or the depression. And the molestation. Yes. How did that feel the first time that you spoke up? Um, it felt pretty amazing. That's, that's the time I, I didn't realize what it had done to me. I didn't realize the power it had over me. If you want me to, I'll talk about like some of the characteristics of myself that, yeah. I mean, I use sex as, I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of sexual partners because I mean, like, like it was nothing. And I think because I was used, so mm-hmm. I just thought that was normal. And I'm not like that now. I'm not proud of the person I used to be, but I am proud of the man I am today. That's where I'm at, brother. It seems like you're at a great spot, man. And mm-hmm. did you ever um, speak with a psychiatrist about the other molestation experiences that you had? No. Was that TikTok the first time that you had told people about that? My mother knew and my sister. I talked about it on a podcast, oh, but cool. I just talked about the girls. Do you think I that that was because you were still harboring some of the fear about the mm-hmm. guys? Yeah. Yeah, I actually made I made a TikTok video that said, uh, how long do I have to hide my pain to fix, protect your feelings? Mm. I made a long TikTok. I mean, you can use it too if you want to. Thanks. Um, One last question for you. How did your mom react when she found out that you didn't fall out of a tree? She uh, didn't remember that. Okay. So my mom reacted uh, like surprised. Why didn't you say something? I said, because it, it was too hard. And then my grandmother asked me the other day, why didn't you ever say something? I said, because... I mean, what if daddy went to prison? I didn't, plus I didn't want to be, get, I didn't want to be made fun of. Right. That's it. I mean, she was just totally surprised. Then she told me about situations that, um, other, other situations that she knew about. So I'm not me, but. Yeah. Let me know I wasn't alone. Totally, man. And you said that your relationship with your dad is drastically different now and, and positive. Yes. How did you get to the point where you were able to reconcile that relationship? I forgave him. The abuse that he went through with his mother being married 11 times, the abuse that he, he went through was probably unimaginable. And um, so, and she was an alcoholic and she was a, you know, she'd go to the bars all the time, leave him alone. And my dad would have to get, feed his sister. And sometimes he'd have to hunt for his sister to get food. They'd have to do it. She wouldn't be home, come home for a couple of weeks. So, I realized he, the, what he had went through after I went through like a celebrate recovery and talked to psychiatrists, started talking to counselors. I started putting together what my dad, what his illnesses are, his mental stuff. And I realized he wasn't strong enough to, uh, he, he couldn't overcome it because he wouldn't go get help. So mm-hmm. that ends like, like generational abuse ends now. That's about it, man. I forgave him. 
I let go of the anger. The forgiveness wasn't for him, it was for me. Yeah. And I haven't forgiven him to his face because I don't think he knows. Mm. <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. It makes total I sense. Think, but if my dad found out the pain that, that he thought that he had caused me, it would, it, would, it would hurt him so bad. Well, Chris, I'm so happy that you're at this point where you're able to let go of all of these feelings that you've had for so long and to embrace this new life. And if you could plug your TikTok so that we can, so that people can find yeah. you. Yeah, it's crazy, Chris 88. And it's K R A Z Y K R I S 88. Crazy Chris 88, everything with a K. I also wanted to thank Stephanator for tagging me in the oh, yeah. uh, in your video. It's been mm-hmm. it's been so cool having people tag me in videos of of people that they think would be good on the podcast. So yeah. we made it happen. And yeah, Chris, I really can't thank you enough for doing this, man. It was a pleasure talking to you, and um, can't wait to see the content that you continue to create and how many people you help moving forward. All right, man, I appreciate it, man. Thank so, you for this. Of course. <laughs>